Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, the beginning of a new year, it does bring about some excitement, doesn't it? You know, one thing that uh, I think is exciting is I love to watch the bowl games. Anybody like to see the bowl games? Yeah, I probably watch too many of them. But you know, as Rich said just a, a moment ago, it is a time when we set goals, we make New Year's resolutions. If you go to a gym, you'll see that gyms are filled with new members excited about getting in shape. And it's good to have goals. It's good to make resolutions. It's good to have dreams and to dream. And to see them fulfilled, there must be discipline. And so the new year is also a renewed time of discipline for many. But it's also a time when we're reminded of the brevity of time. You know, on New Year's Day, we've all looked back over the year and just marveled at how quickly a year flies by. I mean, isn't it amazing how fast a year comes and goes? Christmas comes and goes. And here we are in the year 2016. We all know the old saying, time flies. And it's true that the older we get, the quicker time seems to go by. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the brevity of time and the brevity of our lives, and therefore, the necessity for us to prepare for eternity. And this morning, as we face a new year, as we think of making goals and New Year's resolutions, there are several things about the brevity of time that I believe God wants us to know. There are several things that I believe God wants us to remember about the brevity of time so that we can make the most of the time that He's given us in 2016. Now, in your Bibles, turn to Psalm 90. I don't have a page number, but if you take your Bible and just open it right up in the middle, you'll be pretty close, okay? But Psalm 90 was written by Moses, making it one of the oldest of all the Psalms. Psalm 90. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this new year full of so many opportunities to serve you and to live according to the plans that you have for us. Lord, as we look back over 2015 and all the things that happened, Lord, there's one thing we can say for sure. that You were faithful. We look back over our lives and we can say, you have been faithful. And we thank you for the plans that you have for us in this coming new year. And we thank you for the way you work in our lives. And we thank you for your word, for the truth of your word. And this morning I ask that you'd open the scriptures to us. I pray that you would speak to us. And that your Holy Spirit would move in each heart. We ask for your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are at least three things that God would want us to know about our time on earth. First, God wants us to realize just how brief our time really is. To realize just how brief our time really is. David prayed in Psalm 39.4, he said, Lord, help me to realize how brief my time on earth will be. Help me to know that I'm here, but for just a moment more. And David concluded, he went on and he said, each one's life is just a breath. Just a breath. We've all experienced how quickly time flies by. But when God looks at our time on earth, 
He sees it in a light of eternity. Well, how brief is time? Well, now let's look at Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. A watch was four hours. Just four hours, that's all. Think of it. One day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. Because God is from everlasting to everlasting, He sees things so much differently than we do. You know, it reminds me of a man who had a conversation with the Lord. And uh, he said, Lord, to you, what's a thousand years like? The Lord said, a minute. The man said, Lord, to you, what's a million dollars like? The Lord said, a penny. The man said, Lord, can I have a million dollars? Lord said, sure, in a minute. <laughs> but God does see us from an eternal perspective. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 102.11, he said, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Think of it. God will last forever. But our days on earth are like an evening shadow. Moses said right here in Psalm 90, verses 5 and 6, he said, We're like new grass that springs up in the morning, but by evening it's dry and withered. Now, each one of us has the same amount of time every day. We all have 1,440 minutes a day. Each of us has 168 hours a week. And you know, isn't it interesting that the rich can't buy more hours? Scientists can't invent new minutes. You you know, we can't save up some time today and say, well, today I've got a little extra time, and tomorrow I know it's going to be a really busy day, so I'm going to save up some time today and use it tomorrow. No. Time is like a coin. Once it's spent, it's gone. It's gone forever. And each of us only has so many years to live. Now look at verse 10, Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. You know, isn't it interesting that people don't live past the age of 70? You know, what the, you know what the average lifespan is? I didn't know. So the other day, I got out my new iPhone. Our kids got us iPhones. That's what young people do to help us older people get up with technology. And I was so excited because I could ask Siri a question. So, and, and I realized that people have been doing this for years, but this is new to me. So I asked Siri, I said, what is the average lifespan? What is the average lifespan? How long does the average person live? And here was the answer. The world average lifespan for all people is 67.2 years. 67.2. Now, I realize that that's a world average. So I asked Siri, well, what about the United States? How long does the average person live in the United States? The answer, 78 Now think of it, with all of our medical technology, with all of our medicine, we haven't been able to extend life. Now more people live to an older age, but the average dies exactly like God said in Scripture, 
70, or by reason of strength, 80. Now, let's think about those 70 or 80 years for a moment. Well, the first 15 are spent in childhood. We spend 20 years in bed. The last five years, physical limitations curtail our activities, so we only have 30 or at the most 40 years left. And part of that time has to be spent in eating and in working and figuring up our income tax for the new year. So really, I mean, how much time do we have left? I mean, even if we lived to be 100, it'd be just a snap of the fingers compared to eternity. James asked the question, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Just a mist. It comes up like a mist and it's gone. That's what our life is like in eternity and in the sight of God. And then secondly, because life is so short, the Bible says we're to make the most of our time. That's the second point. We're to make the most of our time. God wants us to use our time wisely. So in Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Do you number your days? I mean, do we really realize how important every single day is? Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but... but, uh, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to know what the biggest waste of time there is? The biggest waste of time is being outside the will of God. Being outside the will of God, that's the biggest waste of time. You see, to make the most of our time, we've got to be living in God's will doing what He's called us to do, and walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Only then can we really make the most of our time. Look at verse 16, Ephesians 5, 16 in the King James Version. It says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now the word redeem is a business word. And in the Greek, it literally means to buy up, to rescue from loss, to make the most of every opportunity. So we're to redeem the time. We're to buy time at any cost to invest it in the kingdom of God. And we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. You know, there's no question we live in an evil world. Think of how much time is wasted, wasted pursuing evil things. Think across this nation, in fact, around the world, how much time is wasted Viewing pornography, or gaming, or watching movies or television that we really shouldn't be watching. Now, I'm not saying we can't see a movie or we can't watch a television show. Certainly, there are good movies to watch. Certainly, there are some good things on TV. But how many times is it just excessive and it just becomes a waste of time? You know, the other day on the world news, just yesterday, in fact, they uh, carried a story about people with their cell phones and how much time people spend on their cell phones. And they had people, and they showed them on the news, and they were walking around on their cell phones. And they were so engrossed on them and, and, and spending so much time on them, they literally were bumping into things. 
and they were bumping into one another. In fact, I saw one guy, he was, he was at a subway station, and he, he was doing this, and he literally fell off the platform down into the train tracks. Thankfully, there was no train coming. And they said that the hospitals have to record a new type of injury. It's called cell phone collisions. No kidding. But how much time, this is the point, how much time is wasted on things that really don't matter, that really don't count for eternity? Speaking of his return, Jesus warned us in Luke 21, 34, he said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Jesus said, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation. I looked up the definition to that word dissipation. It means the squandering of money, the squandering of energy, of resources, the squandering of time. Yes, God wants us to use our time wisely. Well, here's the thought. Have you ever thought of tithing your time? Now, every Christian ought to tithe their money, but what about tithing our time? Billy Graham once told the story of a man who lived on the West Coast who decided he would give 10% of his time to the Lord, and he focused on being a witness for Christ. Do you know that in one year, more than 20 families came into his church as a result of the faithful tithing of his time. Think of what a difference that could make. If in this new year, we would tithe our time. If we'd say, Lord, I'm going to give you 10% of all my time. If you figure that up, that's a lot of time. But what if we made a commitment in 2016 and said, Lord, I'm going to spend more time reading the Bible. I'm going to spend more time studying your word and meditating on it and memorizing it so that it's in my heart and on my mind so that I can apply it to my life and share it with others. What a difference that could make. Or if we said, Lord, I'm going to spend more time in prayer. Now, I know everybody prays. In fact, maybe all throughout the day you're shooting up prayers to God, and we should. The Bible says pray continually. Pray without ceasing. But what if we followed the Lord's example and we spent extended time in prayer? You know, one of the things that amazes me about Jesus is how much time he spent in prayer. You read through the Gospels and you'll see that he was always slipping away to a lonely place, far away from the crowds and all the busyness of life. He'd get up early in the morning while it was still dark and he'd go out to a lonely place and there he'd be praying. You know, when I followed that example, when I've taken time to to get alone, to go to a certain place, to get away by myself with the Lord, do you know, those are some of the best times in my life. Because in His presence, there's fullness of joy. Those are some of the greatest times of my life. Right here in Psalm 90, verse 14 Moses said, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we can sing for joy and be glad all our days. It's about a relationship. It's about having fellowship with God. That's what we were made for. We were created by God and for God and made to have fellowship with Him. And if we don't have that, there's always going to be something missing. But you know, we need to have fellowship with God, but we need to also have fellowship with one another. 
maybe this year might be the year that we would, we would get more fellowship if we need it. Maybe you're not a member of a life group. This, a, a goal this year could be, say, I'm going to join a life group. I'm going to join a Bible study. Or I'm going to, I'm going to show more time giving hospitality to the brothers and sisters in the church and, and to those who are lost. And you know, another part of that 10% of our time could be spent in witnessing. Say, Lord, I want to be more of a witness for you in this new year. I want to spend more time sharing the gospel. I'm going to pray for opportunities that you would open the door for me to give me more opportunities. I want to be a light and a witness to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to my family and my friends. Think of what a difference that can make. But you know, we've all experienced the tyranny of time, haven't we? You see, time can control us. We get frustrated. We run here and there doing this and that because we say we don't have enough time for everything. But you know, another thing that amazed me about Jesus, not just that he spent so much time in prayer, but, but that you never seem to find him in a hurry. You never see Jesus rushing around. And yet he was so busy. He was so much in demand. Everyone wanted to hear him speak. Everyone wanted to experience his, his healing touch. Yet you never see him in a rush. And then he said in John 9, 4, he said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming. You see, we don't know how much longer we have to do the work that God has given us to do. We don't know how much longer we have to serve God. But just think of what Jesus did in 33 years. That's all the time he lived on this earth. And we don't know much about his life except for the last three years. He did all of his work in three years. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He taught as no other teacher ever taught. But that wasn't the real reason why he came. He came to die on the cross for your sins, your sins and my sins. And from the cross, he said, it is finished. He said, I have finished the work which thou gave me to do. And God has given you something to do. He's given you something to do. He's given me something to do. And the question is, are we working on it? Have we finished it? We don't have much time. Our life is a mist. It's a shadow. It's grass that grows and withers. It may soon be over. It may be over at any time. You know, the recent terror attacks reminds us that we never know how long we have to live. And that's why the Bible tells us to be prepared to meet God. Jesus said, be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you don't expect Him. He's coming again, yes. But He's also coming to us in death one of these days. Are we ready? Do you know Jesus Christ? Does He live in your heart? Are you sure of it? If you're not sure, you can make sure this morning before you leave this building. You see, the question is, are we taking this fleeting moment called life and preparing for the vastness of eternity? You know, every new year that comes around so quickly reminds us of the importance of redeeming the time. Because we don't have very much of it. The days are evil. Life is brief. Time is urgent. So we don't want to waste it. 
Because you see, we're going to be held accountable at the judgment for how we spent our time while we were on this earth. And that's the third thing I believe God wants us to know about time. Thirdly, we'll be held accountable for how we spent our time. Now, the Bible speaks of at least two judgments. First, there's the great white throne judgment. That will be the dreadful moment when those who have rejected Jesus Christ and His forgiveness and His love and His salvation will have to stand before God and give an accounting of their lives. How terrible will that be? John wrote in Revelation 20, 11, and he said, And I saw a great white throne and the one who sat upon it, from whose face the earth and sky fled away, but they found no place to hide. And John went on and he said, and books were opened. God has something called the books, where everything we've ever done, where everything we've ever said, and even everything we've ever thought is being recorded in God's books. And John said, I saw another book, the book of life. And he said, whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And on that day, without Jesus Christ, without the Savior, would be lost forever, separated from God forever. But here's the good news. We who believe in Jesus Christ won't be there. We won't be at that great white throne judgment. We'll already be in heaven secure for all eternity because that's a judgment of condemnation. And on the cross, Jesus took our condemnation. He took the judgment in hell that we deserve. He was condemned so that we'd never have to be. And in Romans 8.1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He took it on the cross. But we will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's where God will give out rewards and evaluate how we live the Christian life. How we treated our brothers and sisters in Christ. Were we judgmental? Were we critical? An evaluation of what we did for Him. Now, I believe in many ways this is going to be like an awards ceremony. But I tell you one thing I know about an awards ceremony. At every awards ceremony, there's always someone who's disappointed because they feel that their efforts or their talents or their sacrifice has gone unnoticed. Now, I realize that what we do for the Lord, we do for His approval, not the approval of people. But even so, we're human, and sometimes it hurts to have our work or our best efforts to go unnoticed or ignored. But at the judgment seat of Christ, our Lord takes care of all that. Because God doesn't miss anything. He doesn't miss a single detail of what we do for Him or what we do for others on His behalf. Listen, every time you ever took up your cross to serve Him, every time you ever laid down your life to serve Him, He will never, ever, ever forget it. The things that you did for the Lord that you thought nobody knew anything about, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 6. He says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There'll be a reward someday. Now, speaking of that day, in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, Paul says this. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, somehow this judgment will take place individual by individual. 
we'll all have our appointment before the Lord where He'll review our lives. Now, God's not going to drag up all of our old sins at this time. No, He won't do that. Those sins are gone and forgotten. They've all been washed away and forgiven by the blood of Christ. That's really not what this judgment is about. Rather, it will be a time when the Lord will say to us, what did you do with your life? What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? What did you do with the opportunities I gave you? What did you do with your time? How did you spend your time? You know, we all have just one life. Like the old poem says, just one life. It'll soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And on that day, the Lord will ask how we invested what He gave us. You see, it's, a, it's possible for a believer to simply waste their time and opportunities on earth and in, instead of investing them for eternity. We can have a saved soul and a lost life. In Daniel chapter 5, we're told the story of the wicked king Belshazzar, who was confronted by Daniel. And Daniel looked the king in the eye and he said, You have not honored God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Now, usually when we get on a scale, we want to weigh less. Maybe one of your New Year's goals is to lose some weight. But listen, when you get on God's scales... You want to weigh more. You want your life to have substance. You want your life to have depth. You want your life to have purpose and weight. You see, in effect, Daniel was saying, Belshazzar, you're a spiritual lightweight. You have done nothing with your life that counts for God. You've done nothing with your life that counts for eternity. As we've gone through our series in 1 Corinthians We remember in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul spoke of this judgment seat of Christ. He said, For no one can lay any other foundation than the one already that we already have, Jesus Christ. Now, anyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But there's going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. So this is not going to be so much about all the bad things we've done. It's more about what did you do with your life? How did you spend your time? Did you seek to glorify me with your opportunities? Did you seek to glorify me with your time? Or did you spend it in empty pursuits and worthless activities? You know, I think many may envision this day as being monopolized by the great heroes of the faith. People like Corey Ten Boom or Jim Elliott or Billy Graham. But I think there's going to be some surprises that day. I think we're going to see the Lord reward people that we've never even heard of before. People like Pearl Good. You might be thinking, who is Pearl Good? I mean, not even Siri knows who Pearl Good is. Pearl Good was an older woman 
who committed herself to pray fervently for Billy Graham. She prayed for all this crusades. And when Billy found out about her faithful prayers, he was so moved by her ministry that he started flying her out to the crusades so that she could pray on sight. And that's what she faithfully did until she passed away at the age of 90. At Pearl's funeral service, Billy's wife, Billy's wife Ruth said this, Here lie the mortal remains of much of the secret of Bill's ministry. Pearl wasn't a preacher. Pearl wasn't a missionary. She wasn't an author. But while Billy did his part, Pearl did hers. While Billy was preaching, Pearl was praying. And in the same way, you have your own part. And you have your part. And I have my part. God has given you something to do. He's given you something to do. So you should never worry about what God has called someone else to do. Just focus on what God has called you to do. Listen, God has gifted you. He's given you work to do. And what matters most on that final day is that we were faithful. God is far more interested in faithfulness than he is in success. In that final day, he's not going to say, well done, good and successful servant. No, no, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's all about faithfulness. It's all about doing what God has set before you, doing it well, doing it with all your might, and doing it with all your heart. That's what we'll be judged for in that final day. Moses prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, remembering that life is so short, numbering our days helps us to use the little time we have more wisely. It causes us to think about our legacy. It causes us to think about what we're living for. It causes us to think about what we'll be remembered for. It causes us to think about the effect that we're having on our family and on our children and our grandchildren and the effect that we're having on all the people that God has placed in our lives. It causes us to think about our walk with God and the time we spend in His Word and the time we spend in prayer to get to know Him and the time we spend to make Him known to a lost and dying world. The brevity of life reminds us to invest our time in the things that will last for eternity. It reminds us of that day when we'll stand before the Lord. And it won't be long. It won't be long. And what will he say? Will we, will we receive a reward? Or will we suffer loss? You know, I'm convinced that we won't be in heaven more than two seconds before we cry out and we say, why did I place so much importance on things that were so temporary? What was I thinking? Why did I waste so much time and waste so much energy and concern on what wasn't going to last? One day, everything we have or we think we have will be gone. It will either be lost somehow before we die or it will certainly be gone after we die. And as Billy Graham used to always say, he said, I never saw a hearse on its way to the cemetery pulling a U-Haw trailer behind it. We can't take it with us. But we can send it on ahead. Jesus said we can have treasure in heaven. 
Right now, we can invest our time and our resources in the kingdom of God and lay up eternal rewards. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He invested the life that he lived those 33 years on earth so that we could have the riches of heaven, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have our sins forgiven, so we could have the gift of eternal life. God loves us. He loves you. And he offers each of us the gift of eternal life. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've done. God loves us and he's willing to forgive us. He's he's willing to offer us the gift of eternal life. But we do have to receive it. We have to receive it. How? By repenting of our sins and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior by asking him to come into our heart. You do that through prayer. And right now, if, if, if there's someone here this morning and you can't say for sure, I know my sins are forgiven. I know that if I died, I'm going to heaven. But you'd like to be sure. You'd like to know. Then I'm going to invite you in just a moment to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has promised So right now, I'd like everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes, and be in an attitude of prayer. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son into the world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And right now, if there's someone here and they're not sure they've ever really received you, Would you give them grace? Would you help them to pray this simple prayer from their heart? By praying, oh God, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. Lord, will you forgive me? Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And you rose from the dead. And I want you to come into my heart into my life and make me the person you want me to be. Father, I know there are others here this morning. Lord, there are some of us here this morning we're not as close to you as we should be. Maybe we've strayed, we've drifted. And right now, Lord, I ask that you'd help each of us to make a commitment to draw closer to you. And this new year, right now, what a a wonderful time at the beginning of a new year to rededicate our life to you, Lord Jesus. Would you help us do that? Would you help us to make a commitment to spend more time in your word, more time in prayer, to be in fellowship, and to be a witness for you? Would you help us do that? Give us grace to make that commitment. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.